Welcome back to Talking Leadership TV. Thanks for joining us again. Our guest today is Renee Lati. Operating with curiosity and a vibrant entrepreneurial spirit, she delivers sustainable business advantage for enterprises through strategic partnerships with organizations' executive leadership teams. She also creates citizens of data science within the organization who now see data as an economic asset that drives value creation, ultimately delivering new business opportunities. Renee is a successful CIO, CDO, and innovator with 20 plus years of digital transformation expertise across multiple regions, including APAC. Japan, the Americas, and the EMEA, driving critical transitions within organizations in various industries, including high tech, health tech, the financial sector, higher education, and manufacturing. As a change provoking leader, she collaborates to change human attitudes and behaviors around data and technology, bridging the gap of understanding between the business's goals and priorities and the identification of how technology and data can support and enable those goals. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, but enough from me, I'll hand over to Renee. Can you define for us uh, citizens of science, please? Yeah, so I, I talk about citizens of data science, and that is different than what we've heard for years of we all need to be data scientists, and we don't actually, and it's a very specific group of colleagues, and I have some of them as friends, and that is awesome that, that they exist. All of us need to understand or be citizens of data science, which really means we have some shared allegiance or commitment to um data and AI and ethics in a way that we all recognize it as a tool. We understand kind of the basic math of how it works at a very simple level, but we still maintain our unique and diverse opinions on it. And I think social media, love it, hate it, but has put a lot of the, the storytelling out there without necessarily the elemental facts about it. And so that's kind of my my purpose, everyone should be a citizen of data science. It's not data scientists, we all have the ability and should have the access to a library book, a community college, um, whatever, to understand it and absorb it enough to understand what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I thank you for clarifying that because I've had for a long time a concern around citizen science and, and the reliance from some elements of the scientific community, particularly here in Australia, on observations and data collected by people with no formal training. And if if you believe in evidence-based decision-making, then people that aren't trained to collect information, I think, uh, make a, uh, well, reliance on any information that's drawn from people without the appropriate level of knowledge or training can lead to poor decision-making. That's not an attack on the people collecting the information. And in fact, I think the citizen science, citizens of science discussion that you could have on this is well worth having because people want to be invested in the information that they're dealing with. And I would put something to you to get um, your opinion if I could. It's the degree to which you want to engage. So if you use a lot of data at work, and engage in that in that sense, you're not going to want to be dealing with that outside of the world of work. Does that does that ring true for you? I think thank you to social media, thanks to generative AI, chat GPT, Baird, Bing, you name it. I think that no longer holds true. But I think it's people 
because they're not citizens of data science yet, understand that that data is out there and influencing us even when we didn't know it is, which is kind of back to the let's revisit a requirement around us all committed to, I can be a citizen of data science and it doesn't matter my economic, socioeconomic, ethnicity, religious belief backgrounds. We all need to have that because of what you just said, I don't think is necessarily true anymore. Fair enough. Um, let's let's go to another related topic, and this is a two-parter, and I really don't like doing this to my guests, but we've uh, previously discussed these questions, so you know what's coming, um, yes. at least to help us have the, the discussion, obviously, is um, you've stated that you want to create citizens of data science within organisations who now see data as an economic asset. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So maybe, um, and again, if you think about companies, for-profit, not-for-profit, they show up every day and the leaders are there to improve the product, make their customers happy, make their employees happier, um, make more money. And it's all around what we used to call, um, you know, it's the CFO saying, bring me the money, let's be profitable. Or if you're an NGO, you bring the money to then make as much of that money go to the most needy, the highest percentage of every dollar goes to the needy um, NGO cause that makes it exist. But it's all about something called value and exchange. I give you, Eric, um, a widget I built and you pay me for it. And and in that becomes the value. And where I think we need to get more broad with our understanding of value, both because we have ESG and ERG programs around the world that need to be more than just a program, but it also needs to be how we value data and that's value in use. In other words, if I use data, there's more than just a monetary financial dashboard, did I make money this quarter conversation, no disrespect to the CFOs listening to this later, but there's more than that. And so if you say back in my economics days when dinosaurs roamed the earth hundreds of years ago, I was an economics major at university. And there was the old Adam Smith doctrine of wealth of a nation. And it talks about wealth being in use, assets and value in use, not me give you something and you pay me for it. So if we think about it from an economic-based perspective, we talk about things like um, carbon footprint, or we talk about um, beyond financial measures, we can talk about things that potentially with data that are forward thinking. And I'll pause there and just say, think about every quarter, what do you do at a company? You go in and you hear your quarterly results. It's a dashboard of what you did in the rearview mirror. How were we? How did we do? Were we great? Did people, I gave a widget to somebody or service, and they paid me for it. How well did we do in that value for exchange? That's not necessarily helpful, potentially going forward. And if you talk about AI and ML, AI and ML are about predicting and using algorithms to say what might be a better way of predicting happier customers. Future looking, what might be a way to predict more profitable um, products or safer products? or ethical products, or less failures in your product. And so for me, answering that question says, let's start with re redefining the, the concept of value more broadly. 
ethically um, uh, you know, environmentally, um, and I guess maybe I'm a good storyteller. So let's just imagine you talk about self-driving car and we use only historical data and dashboards like a CFO would use, right? So let's see, I'm driving a self-driving car and until I run over a bunch of people or the car goes off its cliff or all of that's collected and in the rearview mirror thrown up on a dashboard, then I can learn something from it. That's not the goal, right? That's actually horrible. And I'm not saying that happens, but we actually are using value in use. So as that car drives, it's collecting data and optimizing it immediately for future use and re-fine-tuning its algorithm. Because all AI is, is, an al is optimizing data in an algorithmic format. It's real time figuring out what might be a better way to avoid that pothole next time. What might be another way to get from Chicago to Boston and avoid the traffic? What might be a way to get from Sydney to Melbourne on the most efficient and cost-effective flight and avoid the storms or, or avoid, avoid, or maybe it's not a flight, maybe it's a bus. That's kind of where I ground myself and maybe have given you a very long answer to that question. But that's kind of my foundation about value in use, not value for exchange in data. Yeah, no, th thank you for that. And that that created it creates a good distinction between the two. What what screamed out at me though, as you were providing that definition, is when you're in, interacting with data, th there's different quality of data. I, I think that that's um it's it's a uh, it's a sticking point for me because if you're going to make decisions as a leader, you need quality data versus the noise that's out there. And I would suggest that there's a lot of data floating around. It's some of it's good, some of it's bad, and some of it is un, un understandable and not very reliable, but I, I get exactly where you're coming from. So um, a takeaway for leaders is in that sense is what, what would you say to a leader about what you've just told me, then if they wanted, if they if they picked your brains about this and saying, well, when you talk about citizens of data science, what does that mean for me as a leader? Well, I think a couple of things. So one, I hit on it. It's not just a financial business BI, right? Business insights, analytics. Those are very valuable points in time looking in the rearview mirror. That's one. So two, let's look at data a little more broadly and how we define value as a company. Like if I'm a leader. How do I define value for the community? What about a carbon footprint? What about environmentally friendly products? What about our employees' mental health? What about our customers' happiness? Those things, if you look at it that way, you'll start to see the data that you want are more, more forward-looking predictors of behavior. Just like that, that Tesla car, it's not waiting to the end of the month or the end of the quarter to figure out all the data it collected to figure out where it needs to go and not hit a person or go into a pothole or stay on the road. It's doing it real time and optimizing. It's better predictors of performance. And as a C-suite executive, I want a better predictor of profitability. I want a predator, if I'm on the audit committee, I want a better predictive predictor of unintended consequences or product liability issues. If I'm in the cyber team, I want a better predictor of not having a denial of service attack at the end of the quarter for my, my team. So 
I think it kind of helps us move into that. Let's all be citizens of data science. Yeah, it's not that I'm a data scientist. I can't do, I can't write the algorithm, but what I just defined or gave you as a real-time example, we should all understand that's why we all need to care about this. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm 100% there. So, uh, Renee, uh, help me with the following. Define yep. di digital transformation. So very big buzzword for many years, and I used to be a, a chief transformation officer, and everyone would say, well, what is it, what is it you do? What, what, you know, tell me more. I think you have to put some framework in context. So I'm going to answer you that question by saying, understand I am wearing the hat of a citizen of data science, first of all. I'm a passionate data, data and chief innovation, chief information officer for many years. And I know the thing that I've worked on, whether I'm building hardware, I'm building data centers, or whether I'm implementing ERP systems, the lifeblood is data. So now I'm gonna answer digital transformation means how do we bring together a very diverse collaborative group of people, stakeholders and subject matter experts internally, externally, diversity is what you want at the table, right? Diversity solves problems best. And now let's understand that with still a common understanding of what it is to be a citizen of data science and what we wanna do in using data to solve our business problems with a value to use that data, not necessarily exchange that data for some monetary gain. If we all come together as a company, whether we're producing a technology widget or a solution or a new way to, to paint, paint the, the, the walls of an auditorium or how do we buy groceries faster, any of those, if you still come back and get grounded in the fact that if I can figure out how to take data and make it a better predictor of future use, future happiness, future profitability, then I am being a digital, that is digital transformation. It's not installing a cool new tool. It's not building a shiny new data center. It's not whatever that next trend is. Um, it has to have a purpose. It has to end, it has to have a, what I would say, a unique, discrete use case. So when you talk about data, it's more important to have granularity in data than volumes. And historically, historically, we all, I was a CIO, I was told to save all the data for as long as this company existed, because someday in there will be golden nuggets of something. Nobody knew what it was, but they were confident that someday that would happen. Now, that's great. It gets expensive. And really, at the end of the day, what you really want is granularity in data. And the best example of that is just imagine when you're doing something at home with, with your kids or your family and you're looking for pictures of a dog or a picture of a building or you're looking for, well, what does a Burramundi look like? What does a you hope that there are lots of there are granular, very fine fine resolution pictures versus something that's the landscape that might have an animal in it that possibly might look like something that looks like what you're looking for. You want the granularity. You want close-up pictures. You want, and that's, a, that's an example of an algorithm physically because it's easier to explain. Granularity data is much more important than broad 
volumes of data. Like the more, obviously you'd prefer to have more than a couple pictures to say, hey, let's show me what a cat looks like or show me what a saber-toothed uh, tiger looks like. But you don't need thousands of vague blurry pictures. You need some discrete ones that help you understand it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, we did talk about um, the following question or, well, definitely the following question around why should leaders engage with digital transformation? I think you've given quite a good response there and and picking out as a as someone who's in the leadership space at the moment myself that um engaging with the idea of digital transformation processes the things you've just been discussing is important in a leadership sense because you've got people and and we'll call all of our teams for example citizens of science including myself that you have to engage with the world the way that it is and you've got to be able to um, engage with information that is uh, and data, sorry, that is fit for purpose and has an end user group in mind. And I think sometimes you produce information in some roles for the sake of producing it, that it sits on a shelf, electronic or, or, or real world that really won't ever get another use other than the fact that you, you can say it was done and it's being shelved, uh, much yep. like many strategic plans people put together that you invest a lot of time in doing something and then it doesn't go anywhere so I, i'm that connection is quite an interesting one and i one one thing that puzzles me here is to what extent do you believe leaders are actually engaging in this kind of thinking or thinking about data you know in a big bad way do you think do you think it's still something that's not front of mind until it needs to be well i think there's probably two answers to that question the first question is thanks to social media <laughs> And the world is going to end tomorrow and chat GPT is going to take over all our brains. I'm pretty sure it's on every C-suite conversation or the board of directors are asking their C-suite about. I'm pretty sure all that's happening. Now, um, I equate it to imagine if social media hadn't been invented back in the days of the Y2K testing. You would have had way more drama about the world is going to stop working and we're not going to get our bank account money out of our bank. All of that would have been much more dramatic than it was. So I, I want to put that to the side a little bit. Although, yes, the board of directors and the C-suite should be having conversations. What I'd like to say they should have in lieu of the sky is falling or, oh, my God, I read this on my social media post is actually back to the what's digital transformation, successful digital transformation. And from my perspective, it kind of assumes that you have a culture within your company, and that could be a government institution, it could be a for-profit company, it could be an NGO, that you have an economy, you have economies of learning within your organization. Because data, if you use it proactively, you're looking at what am I collecting? Let's think about it. Let's hypothesize that might actually make a better predictor of benefits for profit, for environmental. But that's an economy of learning culture within a company. And so what does that mean to a leader like myself? Well, that means, okay, guess what? You better have a mindset that's fail fast and you embrace it. You cultivate out-of-the-box thinking. You cultivate all of these things that are pretty much... The atypical, if you've always looked at a rear view mirror dashboard of data for success. And I think that's where leaders might 
be thinking about this topic, but maybe not necessarily have a prerequisite with the right um, construct. And it comes back to fail, embrace, frame, try again, learn, fail, relearn, try again, and then applaud your, your, your employees for doing that. So that's kind of a two, two-pronged answer to that question, Eric. Yeah, no, and it, it demonstrates that this is not, not a, a simple engagement. I would suggest to you that um, what, what you're describing <laughs> there is needs needs a bit of grey matter attached to it. Now, look, um, Renee, this this next area, um, I've been thinking about this since we agreed to do the podcast around AI. Now, I need to make some um, caveats or things known while we're having this discussion is I bring no expertise to the discussion of AI. I am an interested leadership uh, leadership person who is wanting to engage with what this means in in that space um there are th- this the the issue of ai from a community sense from the ethics of its use we could go down a hundred different rabbit holes with this so i'm trying to keep it to uh, a leadership focus if i can but i would be remiss if i didn't ask in terms of its pot- potential usefulness in different settings, like the medical setting comes to mind, uh, like the research space comes to mind, um, and the uh, how humans interact with each other in that leadership space comes to mind. Have we, in some senses, catastrophized where this could go, or is it a legitimate response to a technology that... Um, that people really don't understand. I'm, I'm trying to get my headspace around this. So when I'm asked this, I, I can come at it with at least a bit of uh, thinking. And and so this is why I do these podcasts to try and adjust my own thinking if I can. So how would you respond to what I've just said, Renee? So it is a meaty topic. And again, I don't claim to be the data science scientist expert, but I am an advisory board leader who have spent probably the last eight, nine months on this very topic under different situations, trying to help boards or C-suite distill, you know, distill it down to what can I do? Am I making good decisions, et cetera. But let me just start with the basics of, um, until AI or basically algorithms, right? It's basically self-optimizing algorithms, but until AI is, personally involved in your life, it's going to be hard to have a conversation about it. And I think um, chat GPT for all the yays and nays, you know, there's lots of opinion on both sides is not on every phone or in your, in your life when you open up your laptop and say, Hey, I wonder, wonder what might be a good way to start out this legal brief or what does someone think about, well, what does chat GPT think? I would equate that that analogy to back in the day when I first used to do cybersecurity and I was a I was executive and I was the one watching the doomsday or anti-doomsday, hopefully, for a company. And you try to explain to executives who have no knowledge of what could potentially happen behind the closed doors with the, the dark web and those horrible hackers. It sounds like a James Bond story. They don't want to give you budget 
and they really don't believe you until one day, Eric, one of those executives comes to your office and closes the door and said, oh my God, there's an email with my body or my head on a naked body extorting, trying to extort money from me saying that she's going to tell my wife or my husband about this picture with me. This isn't me. Well, so welcome to the world of cybersecurity. Now let's talk about how that's possible and here's what we don't do about it. But until it came into that person's personal space, it wasn't really something they could get their head wrapped around. So now let's go back to the, the AI and the and the, the conversation of what's out, what's out there. And I think the reality is the horse is already out of the barn. AI has been an algorithm. So I'm just going to say algorithms because that's all AI is. AI, artificial intelligence is just opinion that's codified. It goes out and gobbles up all the data that we've all put out there, thanks to social media and the internet, and optimizes. Whether it's optimizing correctly or not becomes our challenge. But right now, in the world of civil and social decision-making, AI is already out there. Employment decisions, um, border entry in the U.S., should the person be allowed in, criminal justice, lending, like you just said, lending in financial institutions or giving people credit scores, or do we give them loan the money? Or like you said, in the healthcare space, does this person have the right characteristics to get this um, early emerging treatment for cancer or some horrific disease, or do we pay their insurance or not? It's already there. So it's in fact uh, uh, impacting all of us now. Um, what I would say is, how do you get your head wrapped around it? And I think it comes back to my opinion, right? My opinion, AI is basically, and I'm gonna quote my one of my heroes, Kathy O'Neill. She's a mathematician from UC Berkeley and a great, great, great storyteller as well. And her, her quote is, algorithm is just codified opinion. So let's just start with the fact that algorithm has be, just, we brought a bunch of data together and somebody, codified it and said, this is how we can make more money on this widget. And if we keep feeding it this stuff, we'll figure out how to make more profit. The challenge is what else, what other stuff comes in with that algorithm to make more money or tells the salespeople to go sell to this type of customer and not that type of customer. The unintended consequences is what's gonna bite us in the butt unless we understand that they exist. And my opinion, we actually kind of codify ethics. And that's a very, I know that's just like, what? And it's not codifying a God. That's not what I'm saying. There'll be swim lanes of codification of ethics. Um, and there's, there's already things happening out there in that space. Back to the, is it too late? I think we're playing catch up. I don't know we could have ever done it differently because until AI and chat GPT sits in my backyard or on my laptop or answer some wacky question for me, I didn't believe it. It's just like theory conversation. So now we need to play catch up, but things like, there's two terms, I'll just throw them out. And again, this is in an education level. I'm not this data scientist person, but there's one that's called explainable AI. In other words, it's transparent. Those driver driverless cars uses that because it shows you why it thinks it needs to speed up or slow down or go right or go around that that pothole. That exists, just imagine it should shoot, it should exist everywhere. So when companies are using their companies are using AI or their teams are using AI, and you're the thought leader or the executive on top, 
you should actually ask, well, show me the transparency logic around how is it that you think this is going to sell more and not actually impact environment or harm a person or what's the what's the hypothesis that you're going to think is going to be your defect rate. Whatever that is, that's the new conversation leaders need to have. The other one that I kind of like um, to talk about is proxy variables. I know it sounds like a geeky term, but just imagine we all are subject to data and proxy variables and AI every day. If we go to apply for a loan or a mortgage or get a new credit card, there's algorithms that say, well, I don't know anything about Eric. I don't know anything about Renee, but let me see. What's her zip code? What's the street she lives in? How high is the crime rate in that department or in that, in that neighborhood? Hmm. That algorithm is already built. It, it, it's not a bunch of people sitting around figuring that out. That, that's the good thing. It optimizes super fast and learns and learns and learns. But the question around, well, what proxy variables make good sense for certain types of algorithms that are in our daily lives? And when you go back to healthcare decisions, those consequences are really high. Well, let's see, if you're a smoker, then that's a good proxy, proxy variable for blah, blah, blah. That may or may not be true. So back to what are those executives, those thought leaders of those companies need to be doing in research institution and government agencies? Those are those ethical, that's that codification of ethics. There's already two examples I just said. Those exist today by companies who, who promise to say, look, you guys have an algorithm, you're selling this profitable product. We will help you validate through explainable AI or transparent AI. Do you have any risk audit committee or board, board members? Or, hey, what about your proxy variables that you're using? Have you thought about the unintended consequences of these three things under these conditions? That's as geeky as I'm going to get, Eric, because it's not meant to be how do they all work, but it's about we have started to codify ethics in little narrow swim lanes about should Eric or Renee get a credit card? Is Renee qualified to be in a, a, an early, early cancer trial? Is It's already there. It needs to go faster but I think it's not the world is going to end. <laughs> yeah. Thank Thank you, mate. Um, Renee, I, I don't think it's geeky for a second. And in fact, you brought up two key things before we finish up our conversation. This has been incredibly useful for uh, someone like me who needs to be constantly learning about things. And I, I make no claims to expertise here, but the ethics of decision-making, the ethics of using systems to make decisions is important because if we are going to run organizations with an ethical bent, then it needs to be permeating everything that we do. So I would agree with you there. And anyone who disagrees, I'd be asking, well, if you have a problem with the ethical structures that you work under, then I would have a problem with your ethics personally as a leader, but that's a separate conversation. I think the other one about understanding how things work. Yeah, we should need to see the transparency about how things work and and if an algorithm is simply putting in those variables and those um co-located variables that you talked about we need to understand what that means now that can be explained in uh simplified terms but people need to understand it and i, I would suggest to you if if into the future and this might be well after i've met my maker at some point that the school system and education systems have um as compulsory ethics and data ethics and that kind of stuff it kind of fits into what is the world of work looking like in the future and i would suggest as a as a foresight exercise here or looking into the future 
the use of data and the ethical use of that data is something that is not going to become less of a problem or an issue, sorry, more an issue. It's something that we need to be more engaged with. And that means activating some higher faculties to do that. But that's, for me, um, I, 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 I err on the side of uh, people um, can adapt and can ask these questions. It's whether or not you want to ask the harder questions and you want to know the why of the process. And that can be scary for some people, but I, I think it's well worth um, a conversation. Renee, this has been excellent. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. I'm going to end on one one just like up sure. note. Sure. Two up note. First one is we already are teaching those data ethics and literacy classes in universities. I'm a guest lecturer here in the US. So it will be long before you meet your maker that we're going to fix this. <laughs> and number two, I think AI and ML back to all they do is optimize data to all of us humans create. If we stop creating data, they'd stop being able to optimize rightly or wrongly. So lastly, upbeat end, end, of, end of our story punchline is humans are not going to be replaced by chat GPT. We are the only ones that are curious, curiosity to open and have a conversation or wander down the street or open up a new book. We humans have curiosity, chat GPT and algorithms do not. And two, original thought and ideas come from us that then are fed into those entities. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna be eliminated. And on an upbeat note, we also are gonna, I'm confident, be more ethical and uh, literate with our data as we, as we move forward. That concludes our podcast for today. I'd like to thank Renee for her time and sharing her valuable insights with respect to leadership and its intersection with technology, particularly the topic area of citizens of data science. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And again, thank you for your ongoing support. Our next podcast drops on Monday, the 28th of August and features Daniel Fletcher, who is the General Manager, Community and Livability at Western Downs Regional Council. I hope you can join us then. Have a good day, rest of your week, and we'll catch you all on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.